outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. <laughs> oh, man. You guys know I don't drink coffee at all, but this Pam stuff is pretty good. Gonna get hooked on it, man. Shout out, Allie. Today's podcast is uh, once again sponsored by Pamp Coffee. If you want to grab yourself a bag, head on over to etsy.com slash shop slash Pamp Coffee. That's P-A-M-P. Speaking of smooth ones, I've got another smooth one for you tonight from the podcast from Outer Space. It's your boy, Rob Scott, once again, here with my boy, Adam Narlock. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And Ryan Scott, as always. Hello, everybody. Now, a kid asked me today at school, he said, Mr. Adam, what was your dream job as a kid? Because I guarantee you didn't want to become a teacher. <laughs> and he was right, but I would love to hear He what said you- that to you? Yeah. <laughs> he said, y'all get no money. You got to deal with asshole kids all day. That was his words, not mine. He's not wrong. <laughs> but that's what he asked me. And I'm curious, as a kid, did you have a dream job? Now, what age we talking? What uh, any age? As a kid, yeah, I was a, as a very young kid. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Okay, you knew that as a young kid. No, obviously that did not happen. Hey, <laughs> we, we all do our best, man. Well, you made it all the way to military school. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that, <laughs> then you changed your mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, this I sucks. <laughs> yeah, that was my dream job, but yeah, you know, I also wanted to be a fireman at one point. Hmm. I feel like every young every, man. Yeah, every kid does at some point, right? And I wanted to be in radio like Orson Welles. Well, guess what? You are, Living bitch. the dream, my <laughs> man. <laughs> Rob, what about you, bud? Well, Ryan can vouch for me on this one. When I was really little, I wanted to be a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote it in a book that I wrote in like fifth grade. You wanted to be like Beverly Hills Ninja, Chris Farley? And how's I mean, that going? I was actually thinking more like three ninjas. Maybe you're You could have just oh, yeah. been a UFC fighter. Could have. I didn't know about that at the time. I was just doing karate and I thought it was fucking awesome. Well, you know about it now. Three no ninjas career came path, out. 30 years old. Yep. Drop out of your job this now. This is a Start movie. becoming a UFC fighter. I see. Someone write this down. We got trademark <laughs> copyright on this story. But yeah. Then after that, it was just pretty much all art for me. And how's that worked out for you? Hey, man, I just did some designs this past week, and I'm working on the t-shirt one right now. All right, all right. T-shirts so coming not soon. not too you, bad. You heard it here from the words of babes. It's from the mouth of babes right here. All right, now we got to hear about your dream job, Mr. Adam. Mr. Adam, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut because I thought it would be badass to go to outer space. Still think that. Oh, and yeah. And what happened with that? Well, then I then I <laughs> you have to be good at math and science. Yes. And... Uh, <coughs> In the sixth grade, when we had state testing, I just completely turned in blank science and math tests because I didn't want to do them. I didn't really care for my teachers. Even though looking back now, they were really good teachers that did deal with kids like me, but I got put in like basic math for the rest of my life. So also my father, same reason. He wanted to be an astronaut, you know, not good enough at math. I also think a little bit of him said, you know, fuck it, I can still smoke weed and get to space. <laughs> He took the Kid Cudi approach. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that brings us into tonight's topic, boys. We're going to take a look at Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, something Rob Stone over here did not necessarily want to get into, but I appreciate you taking one for the team. Yeah, no problem. Guys, this real team player. This is actually going to be an interesting episode because I think this is probably one of the first episodes we've covered where, you know, me, I'm indifferent to this one. Adam, big fan. Rob, not a fan at all this is probably one of the only episodes where we're this divided on the subject the content at hand so little disclaimer might get a little heated in here tonight <laughs> now we are going to be covering hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy talk a little bit about douglas adams himself the creator um the original radio program uh the tv show in the 80s and the film in 2005 and of course the books the five part trilogy correct five coming up on six yeah yes so you know hopping right into it douglas adams author creator uh, and you know douglas adams i gotta say he's good people 
Um, I watched a lot of uh, interviews with him and a lot of documentaries about his life. And, you know, he seems like just a good guy. Like, I'd want to grab a beer with him, right? I feel like everybody we've talked about recently. Yeah, this is true. That's fine by me, man. We should start like a guest list or something. But you know what he truly reminds me of? What's that? He truly reminds me of a... Uh, one of the dads in like that would be like a Boy Scout leader. Oh yeah, right. I, I see that. <laughs> yeah. Now this guy, young chap from Cambridge, England, uh, born in 1952. Seven years at the after the end of World War II. Now, um, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I just thought that was interesting. So like 50s, 60s, you start seeing like the space race and everything. You know? Oh, okay, okay. That was my whole point of it. Okay. So fancied science as a young lad, um, Douglas was considered a strange child as he was a little slow. We got a Forrest Gump on our hands. <laughs> uh, he was walking into lampposts and taking, quote unquote, a while to learn to talk. Uh, and um, he was a towering six feet, five inches tall and actually used to be very self-conscious about his size, according to a few of his teachers. And he developed a sort of reputation as a writer at Brentwood School in Essex and had a few works printed in school publications, mostly satire and spoofs. And I think he had one work published in Eagle, which was like a boys magazine, like Boys Life, I'd hmm. assume. And at the age of 10, he got a 10 out of 10 for a composition in Frank Halford's class Reportedly, the first and last time Mr. Halford gave a 10 out of 10. And this is something that he went back to his whole life. Um, you know, we'll get into that a little later in the podcast, um, what significance this plays. But I watched an interview. This guy, Frank Halford, is a real stiff. Hmm. Just looked like one of those teach. You, all right. When you had a sub, like nine times out of 10, fuck yeah, we got a sub today, right? Right, right. Uh, this guy looked like one of the teachers that when he walked in the room, you'd be like, oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Old white haired old guy, uh, you know, just looked like a total stiff. So he's not a kind of guy that you could earn an A by bringing him fireworks or Arizona teas or Reese's peanut butter cups. That's what you're telling me. He's yeah. not the kind of substitute you're going to be sitting around watching Hey Arnold with. <laughs> no, he's no Mr. A. <laughs> Now, uh, there really is no other comparison. <laughs> Adams attended university at Cambridge, where he graduated in 1974 with a BA in English literature. Impressive, impressive. Now, upon graduation, he hitchhiked his way to Istanbul. Not Constantinople. <laughs> yes, that's Istanbul. And, <laughs> and uh, all around Europe, and he worked several odd jobs, you know, uh, mostly manual labor jobs is what I was reading. And Now, are we considering Istanbul part of Europe? Come on. Why do you have to hit me with something like that? <laughs> Damn, I knew I shouldn't call on this. <laughs> I'm just saying, would that not be more like Middle Eastern? All right. Well, he went to Istanbul and all around Europe, I said. I, I think Constantinople is part of European history, but Constantinople is more Middle East. All right. Anyways, he went all around. Okay. How about that? He just went all around the world in 80 days. Is <laughs> <laughs> he hanging out with Jackie Chan? <laughs> and, uh, so after, you know, hitchhiking around, sowing his wild oats, I assume. Hitchhiking, he, perhaps influencing tonight's topic. Well, actually, yes, in fact, and we'll get to that a little later. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, he worked several odd jobs, became a writer for BBC and, um, you know, kind of bounced around. Most notably, he worked with uh, Monty Python legends Graham Chapman, Terry Jones, and John Lloyd, mm. even though, you know, not a lot that they did was published. Still a good company. Yeah, and he almost actually gave up as a writer in this time in his life due to little success at first. And one of the documentaries I was watching, he's this guy was like a master procrastinator. And I was reading, like, one of his roommates said he would just, like, he would just lay in the bath, like, all day. A real Rob Scott. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. His day was a mystery because they're like, hey, what are you doing? You have you can be, like, writing this stuff and making uh, millions of dollars. And, yep. uh, you know, you had to actually sit down with him and force him to do the work. Exactly. Like <laughs> Rob. <laughs> so, Not that bad, am I? Now, he almost. He, I can't even fit in the bath here. Well, is that why no work has been getting done lately? 
We'll get to that later in the album. <laughs> okay, so he also wrote for a show called Out of the Trees, um, and this was like a sketch that he did where, coincidentally, he blew up the world. This guy loved blowing up the world. Hmm. Uh, and he was also a script editor for Doctor Who, and uh, it was around this time where he sort of started developing the whole Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And so in 1991, he married a one Jane Belson, and the couple had their first child, Polly Jane, three years later. Um, kudos to all that. Now, I also read that he had like an affair. Oh, really? I think before her. Yeah, he had like an affair. I mean, this guy, probably another ladies' man. Hey. I mean, what, six foot uh, how much? Six foot, foot Rob five. Stone. This is a look into the mirror, man. Yeah, they call him <laughs> Swinging Dick Adams. And uh, in 97, Adams signed a deal with Disney, beating old George Lucas to the punch, uh, to write screenplays for feature films. And he ended up moving his family to California in 99. Now, this is where, you know, Adams has finally made it. You know, he's moved to California. He's he's accomplishing his dreams, and things were all going fine and dandy. And uh, one fateful morning on May 11th, 2001, uh, when Adams went to a local gym to work out, he suffered a massive heart attack, and all attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. Uh, so you know, guys, pour one out for Douglas Adams. Um, it was later learned that uh, he had a narrowing of the arteries in the heart, uh, and this condition is very hard to detect, and this was coupled with arrhythmic heartbeat, Yep. and uh, this led to his death at the young, young age of just 49 years old. Now, in May 2002, Douglas's ashes were entered in a private ceremony at Highgate Cemetery, London, England, Square 74 plot 52377 where a memorial still stands to this day now was this guy smoking four packs a day like a boy <laughs> rod no i i don't think he was a smoker at all i don't think he was because yeah. that's the second person that we've discussed had a massive heart attack yeah i mean and this guy died even younger than rod now towards the end of his life uh douglas was a sought after lecturer on topics including technology and even the environment something that has been continued to this day uh they have memorial lectures given annually and topics include the science of harry potter and the mathematics of the simpsons which i would personally be very interested in so he gave these lectures i think initially he gave the lectures and now like every year in honor of his death and they what he's do. accomplished okay yeah guest speakers and stuff it's oh, called a tribute cool. okay <laughs> so in 49 years of life uh douglas was best known for his book series ultimately summarized as hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which include includes a radio series a tv series stage play record albums computer games graphic novels and a bath towel and uh, this will serve as the main topic of tonight's episode. So, you know, let's get into some of the uh, backstory and development. Um, you know, I think that uh, Adams was one of the first of at least his generation of writers to really uh, pursue and push the whole comedy sci-fi genre. Um, now, while comedic sci-fi goes back as early as the 30s and 40s uh i think adams was really you know one of the pioneers to bring it into the mainstream um you know when i was watching some of the like 80s tv show and even listening uh to the radio series um some of his writing style and aspects of hitchhiker's guide reminds me a little bit of um uh, modern day guardians of the galaxy oh, i definitely see you that. know listening to the radio I, I yeah see yeah that. like i see the influence in there of you know little comedic jokes here and there while it's not a full-on spoof like hitchhikers was um they i mean i believe james gunn definitely had influence with hitchhikers guy while writing guardians of the galaxy mm. and i feel like uh adams sort of paved the way for movies like guardians to have you know that that comedic relief in there because you know sci-fi was all, almost like a horror genre in the 50s you know you had like uh creature from the black lagoon and you know the giant monsters and forbidden planet and stuff like that you know there's not Alien a lot of comedy baby. yeah mm. not too much comedy thrown in there and you know this guy comes along and he's not making an outright spoof like um 
space balls. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, but he's, he's, you know, writing something that's original while being comedic and still having a root in uh, science fiction. I think, you know, that's a big deal. Thoughts? Thoughts? Oh, good, Rob. No, I think Spaceballs <laughs> was the big one I could think of as far as sci-fi comedy. Okay. Moving <laughs> on. Well, I, if you think about it, dude, that, like pretty much everything has some comedic value to it, sci-fi-wise. Uh, Back to the Future. Hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. Terminator, all... if we're considering that to be sci-fi, which I would. Would you come? That's, That's funny. not really a comedy. Yeah. There's funny parts in it, though. I feel like a lot of the B-horror science films today, though. You guys are saying you take Arnold Schwarzenegger seriously? Big, how about Big Trouble <laughs> Little China? Classic comedy okay. sci-fi. Mm. But see, these are all 80s, you know? The books and uh, radio series was in the 70s, so I think uh, he kind of paved the way for that, you know? Okay. So, you know, because of Adam's movies like Back to the Future and... Um, Maybe even some of the superhero movies. I mean, I know you mentioned Guardians, but a yeah. lot of... Yeah. Like, a lot of the Marvel movies now have, like, you know, funny one-liners yep. in them. I mean, I didn't see Thor Ragnarok, but I heard that it was mostly like they were trying really hard to be too funny. It's a very bro flick. Yeah, I mean, it's a thin line that you have to walk uh, with being funny in sci-fi without like coming off as just like, you know, trying too hard, Mm. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. But uh, according to Adams, um, this whole thing um, started with the title. And um, this came up uh, when he went down to Innsbruck. Uh, Jethro Tull had a reunion concert. <laughs> he got drunk and passed out. Hell <laughs> now, uh, yeah, he was actually lying in a field in Innsbruck, Austria, uh, drunk, looking at the stars. And he had a copy of Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. You know, Fram was tried to tell him, but he just didn't listen. And he thought... Here's a fun fact. <laughs> you know, he thought... <laughs> Let's make a movie about this. He, yeah, he thought, hell, you know, they got a Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. Why not a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Look at that. Boom. Alcohol is just straight up writer's fuel. This is already burning the fire in his mind. The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> yes. So he comes up with the idea while he's drunk in a field. And uh, originally, he wanted to do um, six shorts that all end with the Earth being destroyed in a different way and call it the ends of the Earth. You know, again, this guy is (laughs) obsessed with blowing up the Earth. Uh, However, the idea would later evolve into Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy using that destruction of Earth as a jumping off point for the plot. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in its initial form was radio. And uh, this was the story of the demolition of planet Earth and the subsequent adventures of the few survivors and those they meet along the way. So it introduced the world to characters such as Marvin the Paranoid Android, a race of people who construct planets, the babblefish, the finer points of tea, and of course the answer to the great question of life, the universe, and everything. 42. So first off, we'll get into the uh, radio rendition. Teabag, you listen to these? I listen to a few episodes. I take it you listen to a few as well? Yeah, I listen to probably, well, so I listened to, I kind of skipped around, but I listened to the end of them mostly. I like that we do research the same way because that's pretty much what I did. Um, but like you were saying, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was originally written as a radio serial. Think of the OG Lone Ranger radio program, or if you're a fan of a Christmas story like I am, Little Orphan Annie. Be sure to drink your old teen. <laughs> uh, the series was introduced in 1978, and it was a trilogy in five parts. And a sixth series is to be released this year in order to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the show. So each season or series is referred to as a phase, while each episode is called a fit. And I believe that has something to do with Lewis Carroll's Hunting of the Snark, but I'm not too familiar with that, I'm not going to lie. Lewis Carroll. Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. he was also a uh, major pedophile, wasn't he? That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the primary and secondary phases of the first and second season were recorded between 1978 and 1980 while Douglas Adams was still alive. Each of these first two phases had six fits for a total of 12 episodes, with each episode running approximately 30 minutes. 
and you know we were talking we both listened to a few and it follows very similarly to the movie right yeah at first it does so like i listened to the fir- first episode mm-hmm. uh, 30 minutes and i mean honestly the opening scene is like shot for shot of the 2005 film for a few episodes yeah yeah pre- first few episodes correlate. and you know uh it starts to like divert after that and uh the endings are all different mm-hmm. um you know books and radio and movie the series premiered in 1978 on BBC Radio for listeners in the UK and in 1980 on PBS right here in the US. Apparently, instead of the series being a big planned out story like Game of Thrones, yeah, Adams used to write these episodes every week, kind of like we do on this podcast. Yeah, that I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, you've got writers like George R. R. Martin or Stephen King who want to plan well actually not so much Stephen King but George he wants to like have everything planned out that's why it takes him so long to write these novels and that's why the freaking last novel isn't even finished this show's jumped ahead but um Adams you know he would he would write these out every single week he never knew what was going to happen the week before so he would just boom get in there and then you know crank these things out and uh one of the things i was watching was he would actually um he did this not because of like we were talking about he's like rob procrastinating and you have to sit with him in the room but uh he put a lot of effort and he wanted everything to be like so perfect and he he put like meticulous effort into tweaks to his original scripts and he would like meticulously edit them until they were uh good to go in his mind well Harking back on the uh, procrastination thing, I was reading an article that said he was supposed to turn in the episodes weekly, and one episode they, I guess, called him to see where it was because he hadn't turned it in yet, and they sent a bike courier to his apartment to get it, and he wrote it in the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the time that they <laughs> hung up the phone with him, wrote it before the guy got to his house. Like, that's yeah. how bad of a procrastinator. That's. I mean, this guy just worked under a deadline, you know? Uh, well, he actually didn't. <laughs> no, I'm saying that if they didn't call him and say, hey, we got the bike courier on the way, he would have just still procrastinated. That's very because true. Because they gave him that hard deadline, he's like, boom, cranking this out. Works well under pressure. I get that. A lot like the uh, man sitting across from me right now. <laughs> the tertiary, quandary, and quintessential, that's third, fourth, and fifth phases, started being produced in 2003, 23 years after the production of the secondary phase and two years after the death of good old DNA. Sounds like uh, prehistoric eras. Yes, which if you read the book, mentions. All right. The opening of the tertiary phase was considered quite controversial as it did not pick up where the secondary phase left off and basically left listeners with a lot of unanswered questions although the producers did their best to rectify the situation throughout the duration of these particular phases, which made me think a lot of Star Wars. Like, you know, when we got episode, what is that, eight, seven? Yeah, they, so they start in the middle, go There's, back, and then go way forward. Right, right, right. And lots of questions, total mind blow. Yeah. And <laughs> so these six, or scenery, I didn't know this was a thing, phase which we mentioned is set to be released at some point this year, will feature several members of the original 78 cast reprising their respective roles in the radio adaptation of the sixth novel. And another thing, the seventh phase will follow Arthur Dent's continued exploits in space as written by novelist, and I'm going to butcher this and I apologize, but I think it's, I think it's Ian Coffer. Yeah. So this literally is like Star Wars. Right, just a whole new director kind of picking up and even going like so many years later and all these original guys are reprising their roles mm. that'll be interesting to see and apparently <laughs> there's also going to be some never before heard material from douglas adams personal notebooks oh, I, I would love cool. to see yeah. inside this guy's brain man this yeah. is one of those guys i'd love to have a beer with yeah so you know then we had the after the radio you know that's the original then we get the tv series um now any of you guys watch the tv series I did not. Okay. Let me just break it down for you. So in short, uh, this premiered on January 5th, 1981 on BBC Two. Uh, One season, six episodes, about 30 minutes each. 
and Adams was present for the filming, um, but it was actually produced and directed by this guy, Alan J.W. Bell. Now, Adams commented on the struggles in going from uh, TV to film in uh, one of the documentaries I was watching, saying, you know, uh, a lot of people said that the radio program was like so big that the TV version had a lot to live up to. And uh, he felt that there was like many things within the series that uh, visuals can actually restrict, you know, similar to like uh, Stephen King's philosophy is like, uh, you know, you can read a book and your mind is infinite, but mm. the second you see something on TV, it's it restricts, you know, what you, you can think of in your own mind. Ford Prefect is always going to be most deaf in my head now. <laughs> I can't read the book without seeing most deaf. Now... You know, uh, especially in the early 80s, I mean, also similar to Star Wars, like Lucas, that's why he released all the CGI ones, because there was a lot of stuff, you know, in the 70s and 80s that he couldn't do, Hmm. and he wanted to do again, and there was a lot of scenes cut because, you know, the technology at the time just wasn't up to par. And uh, now I watched one of these episodes, and this definitely did not hold up to time, but apparently it was like very popular in its time and actually won several British television awards for graphics and editing. Now, Zaphod Beeblebrox, um, in the TV series, you know the Office episode, the Halloween one when Michael Scott? <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, actually so what it looks like. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. It's, it's a paper mache face that the little thing moves on the side. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you guys doing over here? And uh, honestly, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like a cult following by now, but I think at the time it was good. But definitely now, I mean, going back and watching it, because, I mean, I was definitely exposed to the uh, 2005 film first. You know, I had never seen the um, original TV series or even read the books. Did mm. you read the books first? I read the books first. Okay, let's... let's all I right. wish I would have done that. Let's jump right into the books then. Here we go. Teabag. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like you okay, read all the books. All right, yet. fine. All right. all right. Okay, well, what can you say about the books? You've read all of them? Well, here's the thing. Like, one day... <laughs> Well, you yeah, didn't even get to my story. You start laughing. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the thing. So one day, <laughs> already can't be good. No, nah, one day I was walking around Barnes and Noble, and they have these like hardcover, like classic books for like twenty bucks. Like they look super nice, everything. I and I picked up like uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, Alice in Wonderland, Star Wars, the OG trilogy. Like all Most of those are in the sales section. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's why your boy got them. And if you put them on your wall, like they look super nice. And then on your I, wall on your, or on your bookshelf? On your bookshelf. Up to the okay, wall. Whatever, dude. <laughs> and when you put them on your bookshelf, they look super nice. And uh, the last one I grabbed was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I I had never read it before, but I remember like Haas reading it when we were in high school. And then one day, like I, I had just had surgery and I was a super high on something. And him and his dad were watching the movie, and I was just like the 2005 yeah i was like what are we watching so like i'd never really been exposed to it but then i saw the book and like i picked up the book and i'm not much of a reader and i hope none of my students are listening to this i don't like to read a lot but i this is one book that i could not put down like i sat there and pretty much read it straight through but hell if it's a nice leather bound book you can bet your ass adam has it on his bookshelf a little brandy a little by the fireplace who are you ron burgundy (laughs) just buying these books to impress you have some nice mahogany furniture too i do who are you impressing over here Eventually, I want, well, at the time, I wanted to impress ladies, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got my book collection over Check here. out my Pretty four hardbound. Nice. <laughs> Guardian of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and Star Wars. Hey. Don't forget Alice in Wonderland. Real intellectual stuff over here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the books. What's inter- what I think is interesting about the books is that uh, Adam adams ended up writing these you know due to the demand from the fans Mm. of radio and tv so this is pre-social media by the way oh yeah Yeah. definitely um now i think this is like extremely rare that we see a a radio program or a show and then evolve into a book Mm. you know i mean can you guys think of any feel like the scene in monty python how did we know she's a witch I was looking up a couple. Uh, I didn't know 2001 Space Odyssey 
It was the movie before. Well, yeah, so it's kind of cheap. It was one of those stupid little like top ten books and then movies like lists, you know. Mm. Not good for research. <laughs> Buzzfeed. Yeah, it wasn't Buzzfeed, but it was close. And it was like so. Two thousand one was floss. it was an Arthur Clarke uh, short story. Then Kubrick wrote the script with Clark for the movie, and then it was the book. Oh, see, what you have me thinking of is like, when, remember in like the 90s and early 2000s, like you'd have a movie and then they'd turn the movie into a book with like pictures from the movie. And the oh, movie, you know, like a, yeah, I see what you're saying. Filming yeah. a, like a making of book? No, no, it's actually like the story. Like a graphic novel. I'm going to show you one time. I know what you're talking about. Dude, no, like I you have to really... read a book, but and then in the middle there's pictures from the movie. Oh, okay. And then yeah, you yeah, keep yeah. reading the book. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that's also... Once a book is made into a movie, they re-release it that and say, be- now the mo- motion yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah, based you know, on the motion yeah. picture. It has like right, a right. picture from the movie on the cover of yeah. the book yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. Like the original was. Yeah. I yeah, can't think most, of anything, though. The most notable ones I saw was 2001 and Alien. Mm. Alien was also made into a book after the movie. Mm, I did not know that. Yeah, I did not realize that. Now, Adams actually hated writing. Well, yeah. I mean, if you got to meet deadlines, a guy clearly can't meet them. Well, I mean, I think this that whole deadline thing evolved because of this. Mm. I mean, this. Um, he said his favorite thing about deadlines was the sound they make when they whiz past your head. <laughs> yeah. Now, this. I mean, this put an enormous uh, stress and pressure on Adams, who was, uh, you know, as we said, master procrastinator. Uh, one of the producers on the original TV show or radio program uh, commented that it would take Adams a year or so to write the first few paragraphs, and then he would just bang out the rest in two weeks or under. Sounds like my college experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same. That's what I'm thinking. You know, um, Hunter Thompson also same way. He would just like bang stuff out. You know, on a drug binge, like right before the deadline. And even Jack Kerouac, he would like do freaking Benny's lock himself in his room and just type everything in like one night. And, um, I even did this back in college, my senior thesis. Yeah. Take I like, Benny's and lock yourself. <laughs> no, I didn't take any Benny's, you know, obviously, but, uh, I, I remember procrastinating until the very last night I was up to like 5am just one shot type 55 yeah. pages. I, I had like a 30 page <laughs> paper to do one time and I spent, probably two weeks doing the first three pages and then did the rest of it in one night. Yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah, I think that's also, I think that, uh, I mean, I know I work good. Uh, at least I think I did in college. Um, hey, you graduated, you got your degree. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, I would, you know, do everything at the last minute mm-hmm. and boom, one fail, What's it called? One fail swift. One, one fail, fail swoop. One fail swoop. One fail fell, swoop. Not yeah. fail. Shout one out fell. Chrissy Forbes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, now let's get into the movie. Both everyone here has seen the movie, right? Well, Rob slept through it on the couch. That's okay. false. <laughs> opinions, opinions on movie. I liked it. It's one of the few movies that I have fallen asleep to twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. The first time I saw it, I was on drugs. Did you fall asleep? No. Took but a couple then, Bennies locked himself in the room <laughs> trying to watch it. <laughs> after after I read the book, I was like, oh, I got to see the movie, and I made it through. And then I tried to watch it the past couple nights for research purposes, and I fell asleep. I won't lie to you. Oh, see? All right. Well, you know, we're we're tired now. We're working all day. You Rob know? stays out till 5 a.m. Boning chicks. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard life. Wow. It is. It is. You know, <laughs> so my dirty laundry. <laughs> so, uh, singular chick, so he stays out of trouble. All right, so getting into the movie. Now, you know, sadly, it was one of Adam's lifelong dreams to uh, see a feature film made out of his work, and he actually helped to write the screenplay uh, he finished his last draft a year before he died. Uh, now, this reminded me a little of Philip K. Dick. Blade you know? Runner? Yeah. yeah check um, out that you know? episode if you haven't already. <laughs> yeah. He helped, uh, you know, to write the script for that. And, you know, he didn't get to see the finished product. He died uh, two months before it came out, I, I believe. Um, uh, now, I pulled a quote here from old DNA. He says, quote, unquote, the Hollywood process is like trying to grill a steak by having a succession of people coming into the room and breathing on it. Too many chefs in the kitchen. 
Well, I mean, I think not only that, but just, you know, it's like um, something with like Congress. Like you ever heard about trying to get a bill passed in Congress? It's like trying to pull an elephant through a keyhole. (laughs) It's like I I assume it would be the same thing for Hollywood. You know, it's like trying to the whole process of getting scripts done. It's years to get a movie into production. And some movies get caught up in post-production and don't even get made into movies. Mm. And um so following Douglas's death, the script was handed to Carrie Kirkpatrick, may know him from James and the Giant Peach, as well as Chicken Run. Classic. James and the Giant Peach, great film. Yeah. <laughs> also great a great book. Yeah. Now, Kirk's script would go on to become the film. And uh, it was, uh, he says it's a lot of Adam's script in there. You know, he only changed a, a little, th- a few things and... Um, Adams had a lot of original content in the script. And um, nonetheless, in April of 2005, we get the feature film directed by Garth Jennings. Uh, he only did Shaun of the Dead before Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy. And uh, originally I was reading they wanted Spike Jones to do it. I saw that. Yeah, that, I feel like it would have been better if he did it. You think so? Yeah, dude. But, well, actually, I think... Him most deaf. That so, would have been sick. Have you seen the Epically Latered on Spike Jones? No, nah, I've just seen Beware the Flare. Okay, Spike so... Jones. There's uh, Epically Latered. And yeah, right. Didn't he do Yeah, Right? Yeah, he did Yeah, Right, That's too. Right. It's, so, Epically Later talks about Spike Jones' whole, like, career. And I think when they approached him, he was like, no, you know, this was Douglas Adams, a British guy. So, he shouts out... Um, you know gareth jennings and says hey like it said when they approached him he was like no but i know like you guys should do that uh you you guys should go with um this guy Hmm. and he actually uh recommended their production company because uh because gareth jennings had only really done like music videos and he did Shaun of the dead before that but you know i think spike jones was kind of like hey you know go with this guy you know he's he's an up-and-coming guy because spike the same way he got help like that too Mm. you know he did music videos and then eventually worked his way up to feature films now the film had a budget of 50 million and pulled in 104.5 million worldwide so you know i'd say that's a financial success right Definitely. I mean, anytime you can double your money, it's not bad. Not a yeah, bad I mean, day in this guy's book, Mister Gambler over here. I mean, it didn't True. really bust any blocks, and upon <laughs> uh, its release, but you know, one hundred four point five million—that's making fifty million profit. So you know, that's not too bad. Um, I think that speaks to the volume of. I mean, if you want to go a loyal legion of listeners and readers, like. Because like if I'm, I have a feeling if you didn't know what Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was, you probably would not have gone to see. I don't know. I don't know. I like to, I like to think in my head I have it that there are a lot of people, especially as we'll get to later in the outline. There's a lot of people that are like way into Hitchhiker's Guide. So. Oh, definitely, so. definitely, and they hated the movie. Right <laughs> now, um, so the movie starred uh, Martin Freeman. I was gonna say he played a Hobbit, didn't he? Uh, yeah, Something he played uh, Bilbo, dude. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think he did a good job in the movie. Oh, yeah. I think great actor, phenomenal actor, great casting there. Sam Rockwell as uh, Zaphoid. Now, does this guy not remind you of Ryan Mueller in the movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of our very dear friends, uh, shout out if he's listening, um, reminds me exactly of Sam Rockwell. Uh, most deaf, which a lot of people said were miscast. What do you guys think? Nah, I think most stuff kind of killed that role, dude. Yeah, I mean, I heard a lot of reviews saying, you know, most... They originally wanted... Um, oh, what was the gentleman's name? Well, you're drawing a blank if I can. I think, honestly, most deaf, Zoe, and your boy Alan Rickman, probably my favorite uh, characters in the whole thing. Didn't really care for anyone else. What's interesting is that, like... Uh, in the book, it doesn't like tell us anything about these characters except that Martin F- Martin Freeman's character has to be English, like with speaking with an English accent. Everybody else is kind of vague, and that's one of those things left to your imagination. And then you go see the film, and like I said, now I can only see Ford Prefect as most deaf. I can only see Trillian as Zoe Deschanel, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Now I also um, that was one of the things Adam said before he died. He was like the character of Arthur Dent, like it is paramount that they are a British character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So originally they wanted Bill Murray 
That's oh, Ford. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Now, um, what do you guys think? I mean, Bill Murray probably would have done a great job, but uh, I don't think most F was miscast. I think he does a great job in the film. Oh, definitely. Bill Murray was like a long, it was around in the 80s when, right when Ghostbusters came out. And that's the whole reason this movie took a long time to get going, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you say they also wanted uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, Iron Man himself. Johnny Depp. Apparently a huge Douglas Adams fan. So they wanted both. Yeah, they they had him come in and read lines and everything, and they just weren't feeling it. I mean, they even considered Jim Carrey at one point in time for Zaffoid, right? For, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, so is that who they wanted Johnny Depp and Robert Downey for as well? Yeah, I believe. Okay. But then I guess Sam Rockwell came in and just crushed it, and they're like, "This is our guy. This yeah, is our now, Ryan Mueller." <laughs> yeah, Jim Carrey, I think would have been good, but oh, I yeah. I think Sam did a good job. So reception of the film, you know, mostly mixed. Um, everything I read, you know, said this was absolutely hated by true fans. Uh, Rob Stone who, fell asleep twice. <laughs> well, he was. It's not like he grew up on the books or TV. All right, all right, all right. This is just his first exposure to it, and he didn't like it. See if you. Well, I'm gonna get you the book, man. We'll see if you can read it and enjoy it. I think I might need to do that. Now, it, it took him that long to watch the movie. You think he's going to sit down and read the book? <laughs> I don't. took okay. me that long. Audio tapes, audio tapes, so you can listen I to I watched it. it for the purpose of this podcast. It's not like I've been dying to see it for years. Okay, and so got there we go. It. So you were never exposed to that. So what's your initial thoughts? Well, when it came out, I remember when it came out, it was when I was in high school, and I didn't just didn't think it looked that cool, so I didn't go see it. And no one was ever like, oh, this is the best movie I've ever seen. So Best movie ever. Had no <laughs> reason <laughs> had no reason to go see it. Okay. I'm going to get you the book, man. But I honestly, like, didn't enjoy it at all? I mean, it was interesting in the fact that I thought it was cool when he is kind of traveling around the universe on that little cart with the guy. That part was kind of cool to me. But the whole, there's just so much shit that doesn't make sense. And it's just like... It just seems like it wasn't as creative as some sci-fi movies are, in my opinion. Okay. Now, so Roger Ebert uh, gave the film uh, two stars out of four, and he kind of tore it up in his review, which will have our very own Robert Ebert read for us. <laughs> <laughs> you will find the movie tiresomely tweet and notice that it obviously thinks it's being funny at times when you do not have the slightest clue why that it should be Basically you will hear you, <laughs> you will hear dialogue that preserves the content of written humor at the cost of sounding as if the characters are holding a douglas adams reading i do not get the joke i do not much want to get the joke but maybe you will to me it got old fairly quickly the movie was more of a review than a narrative more about moments than an organizing purpose so now is that basically how you felt about it i mean there was funny parts and shout out zoe de chanel because she's a total babe Ooh, definitely and owner of the month oh yeah alan rickman is a fucking legend yeah r.i.p poor went yeah, out for him too guys but it's just like his role was funny just because that robot is just like so depressed over like the <laughs> littlest stuff but just the whole plot was just kind of like lost on me i guess i'm gonna get you the book i mean it's it's five stories that they're trying to condense i mean i think this is just based on the first part of the five part trilogy well it's book. a combination <laughs> yeah, and yeah i mean essentially like this essentially the story hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy like every rendition radio tv movie it's all just a retelling of the same tale mm -hmm. with just little twists here and there and most of what i was reading which was saying like why people hated it was just because like i guess i mean this it's it's anything in hollywood is victim to like they're trying to push a narrative more mm. and um like a lot of people were saying the original tv show and radio you know they didn't really have a plot and that didn't really matter it was more of like little sketches in there that made it funny you know it was just basically well, it was almost like sketch comedy oh ah. so all right the first ship that they land on what is the name of those people the vogons the vogons yes okay so my whole spiel is i don't so they obviously went to the links to make those guys look ugly as fuck and 
alien like oh yeah one of the things i saw you know they have that thought paddle yeah anytime you have an original thought it hits you in the face they made the species look like they evolved from getting hit in the face for thousands (laughs) of years why their nose is pushed up yeah that's true of their head well interesting fun fact so i read this thing about the part in there where they're having them read poetry to you is like the worst thing that could happen it's terrible he originally wrote that in as a diss to some chick that was in one of his poetry <laughs> classes in college that he hated so much and actually had her name as like that's one of the Vogons. And Oh, that's great. They were like, ah, this Ultimate is... troll. But then he, he, when they were doing it for the radio, they were like, this is kind of fucked up. Like we got to just change it to like the whole species. Like we can't just single someone out like that. Yeah. But it's just that's like little stuff like that, that is just like, and then the fact that most Def's character just looks exactly like a human the whole movie like you i feel like he could have at least like had him like rip off his skin and he's like some crazy looking alien or something i don't don't know maybe maybe i'm being too harsh i don't know yeah i mean i think you're getting into it too much i don't think it's the point of the visuals it's more of like the content itself because he's most F was his friend. And I think it's hilarious his name. He got it from the car. Yeah. And that was the most popular thing species on earth is yeah. cars. But it's, you <laughs> know, just like species. little jokes like that that made it so funny. And a lot of the fans of the original radio and TV and books said that the movie kind of lost that. But then again, if you read um, Ebert's, uh, you know, diss here, he's saying that. Um, it lacks uh, that story, that narrative. And it's more just these jokes, which I think is the original spirit of the whole franchise. I feel like it pokes fun at the sci-fi genre as a whole. Like, it doesn't have to be taken so seriously. And yeah. the fact that, like, I mean, we've talked about this several times before on this podcast, where you have five books and you're trying to cram that into two hours. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot, man. Like... Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, a lot of people really didn't like, um, I was reading in the uh, in one of the reviews, a lot of people didn't like the fact that he, him and uh, Zoe uh, had like a more of a romantic relationship. Like in the radio, that's not really there. Mm. And same with the TV show. but In, in the books, it's definitely Yeah, there. but and Adams even wrote that into the screenplay himself. That was one of the things he added to like adapt it to film. You know, because that would help, you know, push this narrative. And uh, another thing I was reading that people really didn't like, it's more about finding, like, the ultimate question of the universe and mm. stuff in the movie, where it's like, that's just kind of like a little joke in the mm-hmm. in the radio and the TV. Um, and even the uh, restaurant at the end of the universe. <laughs> so they... Uh, now this does make sense they don't go there in the end of the movie because they left it open for a sequel i mean this was this was huge in uh over in fucking jolly old so they were thinking maybe it would be huge as a cinematic version but uh the director himself even said you know you know we left it open for a sequel that's why it ends with them going to the restaurant at the end of the universe but it just he said it just didn't do well enough you know i guess making half your money back isn't or making your money back basically isn't doesn't you know didn't do well enough mm. you guys want to start a restaurant called end of the universe <laughs> am i sci-fi restaurant guys well, there's actually one good scene in there. Investors? Um, <laughs> Possibly you. <laughs> that I wish they did have in the movie. It's like, so they're in the restaurant at the end of the universe, and uh, one of the dishes, like, a lot of his jokes in this have to do with, like, human nature and, like, our own thought process. And for years, you know, humans have struggled with, is it ethical to eat animals? Mm. And, like, one of the jokes in there, it's like they breed this animal that wants to be eaten. (laughs) So he comes up to them alive and is, like, offering himself to them and, like, my shoulder's delicious. And, like, it's (laughs) like, it kind of does. It's like just poking fun at human nature as a whole. And, um... That would have been funny to see in the movie, but obviously they do not go to the restaurant. Maybe we need to get a GoFundMe going for a part two, kind of like Super Troopers, and make sure Rob never gets his t shirt. <laughs> oh, I actually got it the other day. He oh, got it. Let's see your clippers. So, uh, the all right, the now the day we're... before the fucking movie came out. 
so we'll get into the whole like influence uh you know for years to come that this this franchise had on on sci-fi as a whole and even how about the whole towel aspect guys what do we make of that how about it where's your towel hanging up in my room <laughs> okay I always know where your towel is yep <laughs> So what I found out in my research is that going back to where this guy was hitchhiking around the world, we'll say. In 80 days. Not just through Europe, but uh, around the world. He was saying he never really had a towel to take a shower. And he realized that a lot of the places that he stayed, he thought that whoever had fresh towels was like, the most like put together like fancy people so that's why he added it in there because he was like oh if you know where your towel is then you're really doing well for yourself okay maybe that plays into the lore i heard another story that he was like vacationing in greece with like some some uh friends and he uh he was always late everywhere because he could never find his towel oh yeah i heard that one too yeah (laughs) and he said you know a, a real put together guy you know he knows where his towel is and so even one thing like the t- the whole towel joke in there got so big um in one of the documentaries I was watching um this guy uh I think it was like his publicist or his agent or someone got a letter from a nurse at a hospice in California that sent Adams a letter that said um you know hey this person was like a huge fan of your work and they passed away but they were comforted knowing that they had their towel with them. Mm. And like, that's how big of a thing he created, you know, with his writing that, you know, people were writing him letters on their deathbed saying, Hey, you know, send this to Adams. Uh, they became such big fans. And, uh, you know, his publicist said she thought that was great. You know, that's, that's awesome. And he, it was actually like creeped out by the whole thing. Like, he was spooked, like, hey, something I've written, like, people are taking this stuff way too seriously. <laughs> it's a little joke about a towel. And this lady's, you know, holding that as she dies. Weird, right? There's got to be some people out there that got towel tattoos. Oh, 100%. Say, don't panic. That's it. Think about it, though. If you're traveling somewhere, man, like, what? Like, if you go to a hotel, you're going to stay at your buddy's house. Like, what are two things you want there? Clean sheets and a towel. Oh, no, food, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> food and alcohol. They got that. I'm we'll good. on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about it, Oh, man. Now, so his fans and his friends uh, knew Adams as an environmental activist, a lover of cars, fast cars, cameras, and Macintosh computers, and any other techno gizmos, quote unquote. Now, he actually did do a lot of uh, environmental activist work, which is uh, pretty interesting. I was reading about he wrote a book called Last Chance to See, which was published in 1990. And it basically started with like um, this company was taking him around. Company. <laughs> this company was taking him around. Like they would take famous writers who had like no grasp of nature and they would go try to find endangered species. And, um, Adams got to see the II and was like fascinated by this. So he he wanted to, you know, he said, "Hey, let's go all around the world doing this." And he made a radio series and a book out of it. And um, it's called Around the World in Eighty Days. No, it's not. And uh, apparently, uh, Adams was an early pioneer in the personal computer explosion and the internet in the UK in the late eighties and early nineties. Mm. Um, he owned the two of the first Macintosh computers sold in the UK, and was also heavily involved in the development of numerous first-person computer games. Uh, the online site H Two G Two. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, .com was created at his suggestion. And this site is a web-based pseudo-encyclopedia, one of the first reference websites maintained by contributors uh, from the public at large. And it's still functioning today. It has information on topics you might never even have thought of. And I actually did a lot of the research for this episode on that website. They have a whole bio on uh, Douglas Adams. I actually found a delightful little uh, Thai recipe on that website. Random article <laughs> that popped up, and I said, I got to try this. So. Okay. I mean, basically like an early form of Wikipedia, right? Oh, gee, Wikipedia. He wanted like an, uh, an actual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you look at it, I mean, this is just like... 
it's not as big as Wikipedia, obviously, but it's a bunch of people just sharing their thoughts on stuff, uh, you know, facts about different things. It's pretty cool. Check it out if you haven't. Even if you're a big proponent yeah, that's of Wikipedia, our, check it out. Yeah, just that's Google our just it. Google it. Uh, H2G2.com. H2G2.com. I'll also put this in the description of this episode. So, um, you know, just getting on to some uh, fun facts about Adams himself. So every May 25th uh, is National Towel Day. This is celebrated worldwide in recognition of uh, DNA himself and the humble towel and its many uses. You guys going to celebrate this year? Get your towels. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Go buy some new towels. Ooh, y'all better get your s- towels, y'all. Maybe we need some podcast from outer space towels. Oh. Purple towels, little logo at the bottom. Well, it's taken us five months to get t-shirts, so who knows how long <laughs> towels will come along in. So the song uh, Paranoid Android, you know, Marvin, the the paranoid android rob's favorite character inspired yes. uh the radiohead song title of the same name mm. ever heard it familiar I with have. that little number now uh douglas's thanks to credit on the pink floyd album the division bell is due to the fact that uh he suggested the title for the album uh the phrase is from the song high hopes and adams was actually friends with uh Pink Floyd. I was going to say, wasn't it at his 42nd birthday where he got to like play with them a little bit? Yeah, that was uh, he was their homies and he played on the song Brain Damage, I mm. believe. And uh, he was actually, his biography, if you've ever read that, is actually titled Wish You Were Here. Mm. And um, so, you know, altogether um, in the Hitchhikers franchise, Adams published seven novels and two nonfiction books, which are tied to the franchise. And, you know, I think this is an impressive body of original work for anyone, let alone a guy who didn't even set out to become a writer. And he did, you know, radio. Yeah, I mean, this guy wanted to do sketch comedy. He wanted to be involved in radio and ended up being a famous writer. I was uh, trying to do some research into seeing, like, what his estate net worth is is at um, with, with everything. And it was saying, like... You know, they really didn't keep track of that. But before he died, I think it was estimated at being around like upwards of 70 million. So now with like the movie and the rights and everything and even the new stuff coming out, his estate and the royalties, it's got to be worth upwards of 100 million. Um, Too shabby. Yeah. And Richard Dawkins, uh, who was a close friend and fan, actually dedicated his book, The God Delusion, to Adams, who was... Adams was also an outspoken atheist, and he made sure everybody knew he was an atheist, not to be confused with agnostic. And, um, you know, uh, we'll end this one with a quote from uh, Richard Dawkins himself, um, who was, you know, he was a close friend, and um, he had this to say about um, Adams upon his passing. Um, He said, and I quote, Science has lost a friend, literature has lost a luminary. The mountain gorilla and the black rhino have lost a gallant defender. Apple computer has lost its most eloquent apologist. And I have lost an irreplaceable intellectual companion, one of the kindest and funniest men I have ever met. So, uh, anything else to say about old Adams or Hitchhiker's Guide? I don't think I can follow up that deep quote you just dropped on us, man. Yeah, man, you just dropped the bomb. Okay. Uh, as always, feel free to slide in those DMs, podcast from outer space on Instagram. Still got stickers, and, you know, we got those shirts coming for you real soon. Yes, Rob has actually, he's not procrastinating any longer, and he's actually got a pretty good design going. I think you guys are really going to like it. Um, we're going to get a website up and running so you guys can uh, purchase those. Um, and, but you know, before we get off on this one, Saw Infinity Wars. Um, what do you think? Loved it. I think it's going to be a great episode. Coming oh, yeah. Epic. Now, we're going to... So, we really want to do something uh, pretty special with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe for you guys. Um, so, that's going to take some planning on our part and a uh, while to uh, start releasing those episodes. Uh, stay tuned for that because, you know, we're really, we really want to do that justice and do it well. I think, you know, once uh, Rob, who's late to the game, uh, sees it, we're going to get in a room and do a review, a review for you guys because, you know, this is... Uh, 
I think this is one of the most epic movies uh, to come out of Hollywood in a long time, and I think we we definitely owe it a review. Uh, so you know, we'll wait. You know, we'll let it sit a little a little longer. Uh, you know, make sure you all you guys get in the theaters, uh, see it. Um, even our own uh, Rob uh, Robert Ebert over here, and we're gonna uh, get in a room and do a review for you guys. So. Um, yeah, on that one, guys, uh, you know, stay safe out there. Don't panic. Before we wrap up, I just want to say if you haven't checked out Hitchhiker's Guide before this episode, strongly, strongly encourage you to read the books, listen to the radio. I was Yeah, I would listen to the radio series. I was pleasantly Definitely. surprised with the radio series. It's almost like a podcast. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just You're go already ahead listening and give to that. us. You <laughs> yeah. might as well. You know, give maybe we listen. could put the link in the description with the episodes. Uh, you know, YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, don't sleep on the movie like Rob and I did, but definitely check out the books and the podcast first and uh, let us know what you you guys think, man. Give us some feedback. Yeah, definitely give us some feedback and, um, uh, you know, any feedback, any episodes you guys want to see us cover, uh, feel free to slide in the DMs. And uh, Rob, did you have something just before we get off this one? I'd like to take a moment of silence for Adam's team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Force them out. Got bounced out real quick. That's some karma coming around. Breaking that, that curse. Of Breaking the Washington yes, Caps yes. curse, just like those mummy curses we're talking about. You know, about. we'll cry into our uh, back-to-back Stanley Cups and get back to you guys next year. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. So long, and thanks for all the fish. I'm sorry. Are you drunk right now? I'm just saying you could do better. Tell me, have you heard that lately? I'm just saying you could do better And I'll start hating only if you make me